Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. First of all, for those of you that are new, I just want to briefly introduce to you what I'm about to share as to how I am sharing this with you. There's a verse in 2 Peter that says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to speak as the oracles of God, to minister the word of God out of the spirit of God, not speaking our own words, but speaking out of being in tune with what we sense the spirit is saying, out of our communion with God. This could also be called, as it is in other verses in the Bible, prophecy. For example, the angel that John encountered when he fell down, the angel said to him, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets. And he commanded him, saying, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What testifies, what glorifies Christ before people is worship out of which springs utterance in the Spirit of God beyond ourselves. And that is what I am seeking to do. And part of my endeavor in doing that involves also seeking to be led by God by his spirit to a particular chapter almost every day of the week except Sunday, usually, and then meditating on that chapter for a half hour, which includes the taking of notes. And then immediately after that, I preach, as I am just now, after meditating and taking notes. I cast lots before God that he would lead me to the right chapter with an equal chance of any particular chapter in the whole of the Bible coming forth. I'm not here to explain all of that, but there's lots of scriptural basis for it, both in the Old and New Testament, as well as the fact that it was practiced by the early church and by movements such as of revival, such as the Moravians and so on. If people are doing it as a game, and they're not living in a right relationship with God or living holy lives, then these things would not work. So this is not some kind of divination. This is walking with God and having faith in the sovereignty of God and experiencing the power of his direction in our lives. Today, I received Ephesians chapter 1. So first of all, I want to read this particular chapter. And then after, I will just trust God to guide and lead from the brief notes that I have made in meditation upon this chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. <clears throat> Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who are to believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might, and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I'm just going to take a brief drink of water before I begin to share what God would want to be saying to you as an individual who in God's foreknowledge has come across this message and to the corporate body of Christ for this particular end time. I believe it's important for those that are new 
that probably come from a very different background to lay a foundation of understanding for them in what I'm about to present. So that may well happen as I begin to share on this passage, that there will be areas of teaching as well as prophetic utterance. The introduction of Ephesians in verse 1 and 2 is describing God as the Father. And it's saying God the Father is the source of our grace and peace and of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That these blessings are because he chose us before the world was created to be holy and without blame before him in love. That's a very profound statement. And for those that are new, I want to explain first of all about the one and only true God, which is innately known in every person's heart, though they may have their conscience seared through false teachings that come out of the seed of rebellion with idolatrous concepts of one God or many gods so that they cannot hear the inner witness or the inner voice of their conscience that points them to what is innately known to be good from bad. And so I want to describe what is innately ultimately good that is borne witness to by your very conscience that is part of you being created in the image of God. And I will begin by asking, and of course I'm going to explain what is meant by the phrase God the Father. And of course many know that there's the understanding also in this passage and throughout the Word of God of God as the Son and as the Holy Spirit. Is that three gods? No. There's only one true God. As it says in the word of God, Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God is one. Quoting from a particular passage, and there are many others. So then why are some people led to have the misunderstanding that those that truly have been brought forth anew by the Spirit of God into union with the one true God believe in three gods, like there is a separate entity that is a totally different God from one another. Well, I want to explain this first. For God to be the Almighty's one, the one that is the ultimate source of life, of creation, of authority and power, means that he must be above the ultimate dimensions of existence that exist. He must be above it, and to be above it, he must rule within those dimensions. So what are those ultimate dimensions? They are that which is beyond time and space, 
that which is the creation realm, which is the time and space realm, and the filling of all existence or space. Beyond time and space, in time and space, filling all space. God cannot govern beyond time and space without being in ultimate consciousness of intelligence and personage within uh, in that realm that is beyond the time and space realm. The word Father has the understanding also of originator. But Father has the understanding of one that has through time accumulated experience and God as the Father is beyond the time and space realm. He sees the end from the beginning in the time and space realm because he is in personage beyond it with his ultimate quality of being and superintelligence. And if he wasn't, he wouldn't be God. For God to rule within his creation, to relate and reciprocate with his creation, and to allow his creation to have the focus of reciprocating with the creator, involves God being in personage, in conscious intelligence, within the time and space realm, to be truly God over that realm. And as such, in that function, God is known as God the Son. The word Son means expression. In Hebrews 1.3, it says that the Son is the full expression of the Father. And indeed, the Son is the full expression of the Father in governance within the time and space realm, the realm of creation. And if he was not in personage within that realm then God would not be God, for he would not be able to rule over his creation. And then we have God, the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence that is attached to every particle of existence and filling all existence that comes from him as God the Father and God the Son. And so God, if he could not be in omnipresence with ultimate power, known as omnipotence, and ultimate knowledge known as omniscience, God would then not be God. But God is in personage, in filling all things and being everywhere at the same time with the power to reverse molecules and atoms for his intelligence is attached to all of these things. And he is able to call forth the dead and will call us all forth to stand before the great white throne judgment of God Almighty as described in Revelations chapter 20, where it says, And I saw a great white throne from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, 
and there was no more place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Within this triunity of governance, the one true God, as the Father governing beyond time and space, as the Son governing within the creation realm, time and space, and as the Holy Spirit governing, filling all space in omnipresence with omniscience and omnipotence. We also must understand that there is reciprocation within this triunity of the one true God. The name for God right in the book of Genesis at the very beginning is the name Elohim, which means basically this, the Almighty's one. There is a plurality, but one God. Plurality of personage to govern the ultimate aspects of existence. God being the source of existence. And one of God's names is Yahweh, or what is known as Yehovah, which means the self-existent one. Another name that describes this one true God is in the statement, I am that I am, which is how God described himself to various ones in the Old Testament, such as Moses and Abraham. Christ said, I am that I am, for he is the full expression of the one true God in the time and space realm. There is only one Son of God, for God is expressed in his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. But the being of God has a quality that is fed through the reciprocation of these three personages of the one God. And that quality is described in the Bible as love, the highest form of love. It says in 1 John in two different verses, God is love. And the word love there is agape in the Greek, which is the highest form of love. Agape love. I will now describe to you what this love is. And you will discover that when I describe what this love is, that you could not get a higher definition possible than what I'm going to describe. And that anything less would be less than the ultimate perfection of love. First of all, I want to mention that this love is totally free. It is self-originating. It is not getting its input from an outside source, such as robots do or computers. It is totally unique and self-originating. It is totally free in its choices. If there wasn't the, that quality, there wouldn't be the capacity to love. 
us, human beings that are created in the image of God, have that likeness. We are also given our own free will. We are the source of our own action and as such are self-responsible. We are the creators of our own destiny. Only with such quality is there the capacity to not be a machine, but to truly have a quality that is love. The capacity of a quality to love. The other part of this love. And I want to point out something before I mention this. And that is that people cannot blame God for creating the devil because we have this quality that is self-originating that is totally free in choice. We are the source of our own action, therefore we are, are self-responsible. We are the ones that make the choices to create our own destiny. There is within free choice the potential of hell as such. I will explain this more. I don't want to get sidetracked too much in that aspect of things at this point. The difference between the creature is that there is the potential to make choices that are free and self-originating, that are in rebellion against the ultimate perfection of love, which is who God is. So let me describe this ultimate perfection of love in God. It is a choice that always freely chooses, totally from its own self-origination, to choose the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice of fulfillment. A choice to always choose the highest lasting good. And as such, it has a complete integrity, an ultimate purity of integrity that is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest word, thought, deed, whatever else you want to call it, action, that would be anything less, that would be against the ultimate perfection of love, which is who God is. This is the defensive aspect of the being of God, of his love. God's love has complete, ultimate integrity. It is totally pure. It will, God will judge the slightest that is contrary to those choices that are to the highest lasting good, that are choices of genuine love. This is also known as the holiness of God. It is the foundation from which springs another aspect of this love. And you can say that this first aspect that I've just described, for lack of a better illustration, is the ultimate negative of the universe, so to speak. The whole of creation is filled with negatives and positives. Everything works by that. The cells work by that. Everything. 
too much to get into right now. But God is the ultimate negative in the sense that when you have a negative symbol in electricity, it's a horizontal line that symbolizes cutting off that which would be contrary to this ultimate perfection. It also symbolizes foundation. And indeed, the holiness of God, that is the purity of his love, is the foundation from which can spring forth creative creativity or the expression of love and creativity that is without corruption in its ultimate purpose and intent. And that will fulfill and bring forth what is without corruption, for it always chooses the highest lasting good. So the holiness of God, the integrity of his love is the foundation from which springs forth creativity that can go on forever and ever in greater enlargement, in greater fulfillment, without corruption. The holiness of God ensures that God can contain ultimate power that is unlimited, ultimate life that is unlimited, without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way that would bring about eventual destruction, including the destruction of the whole universe. In fact, what is indicative that God is the very source of everlasting life and of all creation is that his love is totally pure, that God is holy, that he judges the slightest that would be contrary, that would allow corruption within him. The word of God says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let me put it this way. People, you know, you can go to various dictionaries and look up the definition of the word truth and you'll find that the word truth means basically that which is real. So you look up the word truth, look up the word reality, and you look up the word real, and you find that it basically means that which never changes, which is everlasting and indestructible. And the only quality that can contain unlimited life and power without corruption is such love that is totally pure in its holiness. But if that was all there was with this love, the evidence that it is totally pure is that this foundation can express in creation that which is ultimate for destiny for the creation. And how is that so? It is so in this way. There is within this love the positive symbol, which is in the symbol of the cross, from which springs this foundation. You've got the horizontal symbol, and then you put another line going the opposite way, and you've got the symbol of the cross, from which springs the ultimate positive of the universe, so to speak, for sake of illustration. And that ultimate positive 
is the power of God's love without violating the integrity of his the integrity of his love and required judgment to provide mercy, to provide forgiveness, to assure forgiveness and eternal life to those that repent and receive his power to provide forgiveness. Forgiveness is only in God. Only God has the power to forgive sin. And how is it that forgiveness lies in God and God alone? Because he has such an ultimate purity of love, such an ultimate moral capacity of love to actually humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, to observe your rebellion and your judgment against God, your rebellions and your sins against God, upon himself as a perfect atoning sacrifice, absorb it without it causing destructibility to his being, and as such then be able to rise from the dead and bring forth assured destiny to creation. And if God could not provide assured destiny to creation, they would imply that he was imperfect. What it reveals that he is ultimately perfect in his love is that he has the power to forgive and to assure destiny to those that repent and receive his atoning work on the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, God poured out his love in the life of his blood on the cross in his son Jesus Christ so that you could repent and be cleansed of your sin and made white as snow and be forgiven for your sin and be reconciled to God and enter into being part of his corporate bride which will be in reciprocative fellowship with him throughout eternity ever enlarging in the realms of ultimate perfection of creative expression and love. Everlasting life that is ever enlarging and growing in creativity in your life as an individual. If you truly from the depths of your heart cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yes, even before Christ died on the cross, when he came in the center of the history, from the time of Adam and Eve, they took an innocent animal. A lamb was one of the things that was used often under God's institution. which was, And they laid their hands on the head of that lamb, which was a symbol of their sin being put upon that lamb. And it was killed. A symbol of substitutionary sacrifice for their sin. But from that time, and you can look at many verses in the Old Testament, make it very clear that there was the understanding that the f sacrifice of an animal could only cleanse the physical body, which would allow God's spirit to dwell with their soul and spirit, but could not cleanse their soul and spirit from sin. There was the clear understanding with various verses, which for time I won't point out, that forgiveness is only in God. And that implies, since God will not violate his holiness, the integrity of his love, 
And since the only thing that can be possibly a perfect atoning sacrifice that could cleanse one's soul and spirit is a human being that lives a perfect life, which is only possible in God, that God has the moral capacity to become a perfect atoning sacrifice, which is why he came and condescended in his love and suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. Let that sink in, that he loves you that much and desires you to be part of his corporate bride and to have fellowship with him. And in this passage of scripture here, we have a beautiful description, which I will go into for a while to explain this even more of this ultimate purpose for which all things were created. Have you noticed that everything in creation has a male and a female counterpart, which is a reflection of God's ultimate purpose, that he bring forth a corporate bride that he will inhabit in fellowship with? But I want to point out another thing about the being of God and his love. And that is that within the triunity of the one true God, there is reciprocation of this love that is ever enlarging and feeds and grows in that interrelationship of the one true God in the governance of beyond time and space, in time and space, and filling all space. You see, there's a verse in Isaiah 33, verse 5, I believe it is, or 6, that says concerning Christ, the Messiah, that the fear of the Lord is his treasure. I'm writing a book on the fear of God that's very in-depth. It's taken me a long time, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But the fear of God is a choice. It's more than just an intellectual ascent. It's a turning, a deep turning from the depths of one's being to recognize God for who he truly is. Remember, I mentioned that many have an idolatrous, self-deceived self-projection of God that is a God that is demanding and doesn't assure mercy and forgiveness. With no understanding of the goodness that is behind his demands. But here I'm sharing with you the good news. And I want to share with you that even in the triunity of God, the Son beholds the glory of God because he sees the utter, utter purity of his love. You see, out of that holiness issues wholeness, W-H-O-L-E. Out of holiness issues wholeness. Now in us, as mere mortal human beings, we were created in the image of God to find that our inner depth of being can only find ultimate completeness and satisfaction in this indwelling of God's Spirit with us. 
And so when we have rebelled like Satan against God, we are cut off from the presence of God and we are left in a state that is like a black hole in outer space. There's a vacuum in there that can only be filled by God. But now it's like a black hole in outer space that's pulling everything into it in a destructive way through wrong choices because they are coming out of an attempt to fill something with satisfaction that can never be filled except by God. It is like our being is like a fist of rebellion. But in God, in the holiness of God, out of that issues wholeness. Because that's where reality is. What is reality? Ultimate reality is God, the I am that I am. It is void of corruption or of death. Reality is totally life with ultimate goodness and no corruptibility. And so because that is the case, there is total wholeness. That can, and it's only reality that can satisfy the inner core of your being. That's who you are made. That's what you are made to find. Is reality in the very core of your being and destiny that is everlasting and ever enlarging in that reality. And I'm talking about also how the Son is beholding the Father. So he beholds the wholeness. And out of the wholeness issues this great beauty. And out of the beauty issues the glory, the radiancy of God. And so he's beholding the Father. And he says to the Father, Father, I'm so filled with thankfulness as I behold the greatness and the beauty and how pure your love is to judge the slightest destructibility. That, Father, I just want to express my thankfulness to you and be enlarged in my expression of love to you by going and condescending and humbling myself more than these mere creatures and suffering, taking their sin upon me so that I can bring to you, Father, a corporate bride that you can inherit with me in fellowship. And the Father says to the Son, Son, I see the ultimate beauty and glory of your being. And I'm so filled with appreciation and thankfulness that, Son, I, though I want you to be here, I want to allow my love to be enlarged to you. And so I say, though it's painful for me, I allow you to go and to condescend and to take this judgment upon yourself so that you can experience the inheritance of a corporate bride that will enlarge your love and fellowship with me and me with you. This all comes out of a choice to recognize God for who he truly is, which is a deep turning from the heart. This is basically what the fear of God is. It is a choice. When we fear God, it is a choice to recognize God for who he truly is. And our inner being that is created in the image of God has a conscience. And that conscience always points to what we innately know is truly good. 
and points to those things around us that we make choices in that are innately good, to the ultimate good who is God, that has this love that contains goodness, ultimate goodness. In other words, contains unlimited life and power and authority in a way that is totally constructive and ever-larging and has no destructibility. So now we look at this passage of Ephesians with some background and understanding. And I will briefly go through this passage now. And so we see in the first two verses, as I mentioned, God described as the Father. The one that is the source of unmerited favor in our lives when we deserve the judgment of God, but because we repented and we cried out and we said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, from the depths of our being, because we were brought to that place of realizing the deception in our lives and the emptiness in our lives apart from the truth. Whether it was in some false, demon-inspired doctrine of an idolatrous, monotheistic view of God, or of many gods, or of atheism, or whatever. We were brought to the place where we came to know God when we saw, like the prodigal son, the emptiness and the undoneness and the futility of our life apart from God. And we cried out and asked for his forgiveness, for his cleansing, and received the atoning work of God through himself and his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we read in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so that's also from God the Father that we can be blessed. Blessed so that we experience Actually, through our prayers, through our worship, through waiting on God, we experience our soul rising into a realm of God's presence where we partake of his peace, of his joy, and of revelation because there's a deep turning in our heart, because there's a choice to fear God, to be reciprocative of who God is doesn't involve some mental incentive. It involves spending quality time in prayer. It involves being in awe of who God is. Instead of being filled with our own self-initiated, presumptive, proud ways, we come in awe and humility. And the more we perceive God from the depths of our being and we learn to be still and be aware of whose presence we're in, the more there's a deep turning in the inner being that becomes like a flower that opens up to see with the eye of the heart the reality of God, of its glory. There's a scripture that says, whenever the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. That second Corinthians chapter 3 towards the end, it's talking about how many of the Jews fell into an idolatrous concept of God by making the Ten Commandments their focus 
so that the Ten Commandments became idolatrous because it became only mere performance, outward performance before God. In other words, they lost the fear of God. They lost a deep turning in their heart of reciprocating and being open up and opening up like a flower to the reality of who God is and having that awe that brings one to the place of utter humility, which then leads one to the place of utter honesty to repent of their sins before God and also brings one to the place of utter honesty that leads one to the greater place of utter humility. And so when there's a turning in the heart, which is also described as the circumcision of the heart or the rending of the veil, like a curtain being ripped apart. Many don't know that when Christ died on the cross, the veil that the high priest entered into in the nation of Israel, there was an earthquake and it ripped that veil in half. And that was a symbol of us now because he died for our sins and cleansed. we could have our soul and spirit cleansed so that we could actually ascend with our soul and spirit through prayer, through worship, into the very holy presence of God to experience fellowship with him through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. You see, before Christ died on the cross, he said to his disciples, You know God, for he dwells with you, but he shall be in you. Yes, they knew God from the time of Adam and Eve when they truly came to recognize God the Father in the manifestation of his holiness, out of which issued his mercy, and so they received his mercy. It's only when there's the genuine fear of God that there can be a recognition of the greatness of God's mercy to us personally that brings a deep turning in the heart to receive the mercy of God. And so they received the forgiveness of God. They knew the animal didn't wasn't the source of forgiveness, but that God was. And in God the Father, therefore they saw the full expression of God, which is God the Son. Christ said, whoever has been taught and learned of the Father comes to the Son. And he also said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, for he is the full expression of the Father. So, they entered in to being born again of the Spirit from the very time of Adam and Eve till now. The only difference is that now, after Christ has died on the cross, there is now the indwelling of the Spirit, not the merely dwelling with, because now the soul and spirit is clean. And so we can experience spiritual blessings in heavenly places because we can go into the Holy of Holies. Does that mean that the people in the Old Testament had to always go through the high priest to experience the presence of God? No. Oh, yes, there's verses that prophesy that the nation of Israel will be born again in one day. It's basically describing that. I can't turn to those verses now. It describes the transformation of their heart from being like clay tablets to soft tablets on which God can write his law because they enter in to a true relation. That's describing the conversion of a nation. But as individuals, there were many multitudes in the nation of Israel as well as from the very time of the beginning that experienced being born again of the Spirit of God. You only have to look at Enoch. 
Enoch had such a close, intimate relationship with God that he was translated. The book of Enoch is a very good book to read. It is quoted in the scripture. I'm talking about the first book of Enoch. The other ones do have some questionability about them. So was Elijah translated that he did not see death. So there's this relationship with the one true God. You see, what is it to be born again of the Spirit? It comes out of the fear of God that causes the circumcision that I'm describing, the rending of the veil in the heart, to truly open up like a flower and receive who God is in his mercy that issues out of his holiness, that we acknowledge is good, even though it may involve suffering. Yes, the consequences of man rebelling against the holiness of God has resulted in all kinds of suffering. And the problem that people have is they see all the suffering in people's lives and they think, how could a God that is good allow this? And so they become alienated and rebellious against God and they form their own counterfeit idolatrous views of a one God or of many gods. I can see easily how Cain became upset because of the consequences of the fall of man and the curse. And so he begins to look at God as enigma and he sees him as somehow holy, but he doesn't understand. He's lost sight of the goodness of God because he's got a sight on all the consequences that are due to rebellion against the holiness of God. So now he only sees God as a dictator and he doesn't see that God is merciful. So he thinks that somehow he can appease God by his mere performance and bringing things before God. So he brings his sacrifices. Mere performance. The same thing that the Jews, many of the Jewish people, not all of them, there was always a remnant that knew a close walk with God. That was born again of the Spirit but many of them fell into the trap of thinking that mere performance before God would save their souls. And so whatever you trust in becomes your focus, your source of trust, where you put your worth and where you put your glory. And so you're deceived. So intellectually you're saying you're worshiping God, but in your heart you're worshiping yourself because your trust is in your own righteousness in independence from dependency upon God. And so you are in a state of pride that is anti-God in its quality of being. Because it doesn't give glory to God, it gives glory to self, though in the mind you may be saying that you're giving glory to God. But the way you live and the way your heart is reveals that there's hell in your heart. and that you need heaven to come into your heart. But as long as we justify these false belief systems of rebellion, we will continue in a direction that will lead to eternal separation from the love of God in a place of such torment that is beyond description of any of the torment that can possibly exist in this world. If you don't believe it, look at my website at loverealized or ultimatemeaning.com.
and look at the life after death videos of people that have actually died and what they experienced to how real heaven was, how real hell was. And God had mercy on them because their heart was open to truth. What I am sharing here is the everlasting gospel that is described in Revelations chapter 14. I think around verse 16, if I remember right. That will be preached just before the great judgments fall upon the earth. Not by me only, but by many others. And it is this, and if you read that verse, it says this. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, saying, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. The message that I am preaching is to fear God and to give glory to him so that you can worship him from a true and a pure heart in all that you do in your life. It'll come out of fellowship with God and you'll find your destiny in this world that leads to eternal destiny. The message I am giving here is that we today can enter in to these heavenly places of fellowship with God if we learn to seek God and put him first once we've received Christ into our life. That was a choice out of the fear of God that caused a circumcision in the heart of true repentance that received forgiveness and cleansing. But the word of God says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So it's an ongoing process, and that requires spending quality time in prayer and in the word of God and seeking God so that you grow in your identity with God so that the things of this world cannot become hypnotizing bait that manipulates your life. Because the word of God says in Jonah, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Wherever your heart is, there is your treasure of your heart is focused on the temporal fulfillments of this world that can never satisfy. That is a lying vanity that can be used by greater powers than you that exist, obviously, to manipulate your life in a direction of destruction. But if your identity is in God, your motivations are not in those things. So when those things crumble, you will not tend to crumble with them so that you're driven to suicide in an ultimate expression of rebellion against God or whatever else. Driven to Satanism or some other thing that is totally destructive in principle and meaningless and a lying delusion. In this passage of scripture, I'm only going to do a little bit of the beginning of Ephesians here for time because it's getting near an hour. But I want to go on with this passage. It says in uh, verse 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is what God desires for each and every single person. He's not willing, as it says in the word of God, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then he says this, 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. Now this word predestined basically means in the original Greek to limit in advance. It means in front of. In other words, God allows things to happen in your life as an individual that he places there to corner you to face who he is, to face the truth, to face reality, to come to a place of receptivity to actually receive him into your life. Many go through the experience like the prodigal son, trying many, being in deceptive belief systems or whatever, or trying to find fulfillment in the pleasures of this life and finding how it leaves them empty and void. They become tired of all the ways they've deceived themselves and of how others have deceived them, so that now they're only hungry for what is ultimately trustworthy and ultimately real, and so they're crying out, oh, where is reality? Where is what is ultimately trustworthy? And God hears that cry, and he begins to put things in their path to point them to what is ultimately real and true. And they come to a place or like the prodigal son, they cry out and they say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I repent. I make you, Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior of my life. And there's a true rebirth then. And what is happening in that is this. There's the recognition of the greatness of God's mercy to them personally out of first recognizing the goodness of God's holiness and required judgment. In the recognition of the greatness of God's mercy, there is the recognition of the greatness of God's love to them personally, which is a manifestation of what is ultimately trustworthy because the love is totally pure, because it is based on the foundation of holiness, which is the purity or integrity of God's love. When there is that, there is the choice to fear God. And so your soul that is like a fist and your spirit that's like a fist opens up as an open hand of surrender and receives the love of God in his atoning work on the cross through Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. So your hand is now in a state of selflessness, what represents a state of surrender and selflessness. The Word of God says that faith is excluded by or boasting or self-glory or self-worship is excluded by the law of faith. So when your hand is in this state of surrender and focus and receptivity to God's mercy through his atoning work, then the Spirit of God comes in as another open hand to dwell with your soul and spirit. Now your hand or your soul and spirit stays in a state of selflessness because the other hand representing the Spirit of God comes against that hand, forming two hands of prayer or what also can represent a seed of the new divine nature. And this is clearly described in 1 John, which says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Just got a bit backwards there. So faith involves our soul and spirit in a state of selfless trust with the indwelling of God's spirit in a new divine nature. 
which is what they experienced from the very beginning, except that now there's the indwelling and not merely the dwelling with in our fellowship with God, allowing us to enter into the Holy of Holies. In this passage, verses 5 to 6, I summed it up by stating this. Things have happened in our lives that were pre-marked of God to bring us to enter into conversion and adoption as children by Jesus Christ. This is to the intent to bring praise to God out of the glory that will come out of the grace shown to us from God. Which praise from us to God makes us acceptable to God because of the purity that is in such praise through the fear of God that is focused in God's holiness, mercy, and grace. I know that's a lot. You're going to have to maybe listen to it a few times or take notes. I don't have time to, in this message, go much beyond an hour. But that's in verses 5 to 6. It says in verse 6, that God has predestined or pre-marked us for one purpose, that is to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace, and that it is the praise that comes out of the glory of his grace that makes us acceptable in the beloved, which is God, and one another. Because such praise, which is a worship, is pure. Because when there's a focus on the greatness of God's mercy, and a receptivity to it through the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ, of God on the cross. That praise and that worship has no area of self-glory in it, which is impure. And so we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, verse 7. And out of that, he abounds toward us in all wisdom and prudence to the point that he is able to make known, as it says in verse 9, the mystery of his will to us, which is what he desired from the beginning. For it says it was according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that we should know the mystery of his will. And it is that mystery that I am sharing with you here, which says here in verse 9, last part, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. That is the mystery that is being revealed. The purpose for which all things exist is for the pleasure of God and also for us as the creature to find our ultimate pleasure in God, who is the ultimate source of goodness that is ever enlarging from which we also can partake and ever enlarge in creative expression of fellowship to God and one another that will go on in heaven forever and ever. It says in Peter, I believe, describes it this way, that we are like living stones being built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. This is not a bunch of bricks that all look the same. Because our identity is not in some leader over us or in fear of rejection from one another so that our identity is more in one another and in the leadership. 
Our identity is in our relationship personally with God through Christ. And that identity is what brings a unity that is genuine, where there can be genuine truthfulness to one another that is in love, which is equivalent to the being of God that is first truthful in his holiness of love or purity of love, and then expressed in creativity, ultimately manifested in his mercy on the cross. Likewise, we, in conformity to the being of God through reciprocating our relationship with his being in an ever-growing identity, are coming in to a genuine unity not only with God but with one another that allows there to be individuality and uniqueness and yet unity, so that we are not like a bunch of homogenous bricks that all look the same. We are those that form a beautiful mosaic that is of God's creation, that as it describes also in Ephesians here, I believe in chapter 2, will be displayed to all created beings throughout the universe so that they have no excuse to rebel against God and are amazed at the manifold wisdom of God to bring together such an incredible unity of love with such amazing creative individuality forming this beautiful mosaic. That is God's ultimate purpose. And we today are living in the last days and God is calling his church to repent of being denominational so that Christ commanded us to receive one another as he received us as sinners. And yet people, because they don't see things exactly the way we do, we don't love them, or we don't love them as much as another brother and sister. We don't receive them. We need to repent of control in the churches. We do not allow the members of the body to express the gifts of the Spirit because we want our, as leaders, to control things. doesn't mean there isn't leadership but the leadership should be facilitating each member to express their worship first to God and also their worship in creative expressions of gifts to one another to build one another up. Paul the Apostle said that God has so tempered the body together that he would give more abundant honor unto the part that lacks so that there should be no schism in the body. This is in Corinthians. Now, I believe 1 Corinthians. In other words, when we allow God to come over the body in Christ and run the meeting by his spirit moving upon each member, God gives more abundant honor to a part that's not looked up to so highly, an individual, so that those that tend to be looked up to too highly in the natural are humbled. Word of God says in Proverbs that division or contention comes by pride. So when pride is brought down and we're more conscious of Christ in our midst and of him walking among us than of anyone else and of the leader, then those that are dejected are raised up as valleys. Those that are proud are brought down as mountains to be plains. 
And the word of God says the crooked will be made straight and the rough places smooth, and then the glory of God will be revealed and will come down to dwell in our midst. God is calling his church to also repent of the gods of amusement and of pleasure and of idleness. Word of God says that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was abundance of bread, pride, and idleness. We as the body of Christ need to repent of the gods of amusement, of pleasure instead of making his house a house of prayer, instead of redeeming the time. God is coming for a corporate bride. Will you be part of that bride? He is calling his bride forth at this time. And what happens when we come into this genuine unity corporately is that the presence of God can inhabit those living stones, can inhabit his bride like a hand filling a glove. And once that glove is filled with that hand, that hand has power and it has authority to tear down the strongholds of evil and to bring in the kingdom of God, not through military physical might, but through God being released to shake those things which are unshakable, that those things which are unshakable might remain. I could talk a lot more here or preach a lot more, but time is gone. Thank you for listening to this message. Please feel free to contact me through my website at ultimatemeaning.com. I believe there should also be contact through love realized. God bless you all. Please support me as you feel so led through your prayers and through other means in order to further resources to establish the end time restoration to bring forth the corporate bride of Christ. Jesus' name. God bless you all.